0: You guys could go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, my name is Byron. I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. If you're watching online or if this is your first time, I want to say welcome. Before we dive into the service today, I got an important announcement. Over the last year, Pastor Cody has been leading us in worship. However, Cody will no longer be a part of the team here at Redemption. And we bless him and we love him. We are in a season of transition. And so while we honor and we support and we're so excited for the growth that he has done for us, we're also excited about the future here. And we're actually going to have Bree Berwick and JC Sanchez filling in in the meantime. We love Pastor Cody. If you know him, text him. Let him know that you'll love him as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We are continuing our study that we are calling Christians Are Crazy, where we are learning how to live for Christ in the middle of a world that is in crisis. Now, quick show of hands, how many of you guys like being sick? Anybody just like being sick? Anybody? Nice little three-day vacation, off of work, hugging the toilet? Nobody? Nobody like being sick? I hate being sick. In fact, I was sick sick this week. You might be able to hear it uh, whenever I'm preaching. I I was sick this week. At first, I thought it was COVID, but I took two tests, and turns out it was just a man cold. Okay, ladies, you will never understand what men go through when they get a cold. You You just can't understand it, but all the guys in the room, you're like, amen, right? Let me hear it from the men. Can I get a witness? The man cold. I had a man cold this week, and it was horrible. See, normally, I'm like Superman. I wake up in the morning, and I'm just like, tap the red S on my chest. Let's go conquer the day. But the moment I get to sniffles, I'm like, Ashley, can you come help me, please? I need some chicken noodle soup, right? That's that's just where I'm at, because I hate being sick. But worse than that is I I hate going to the doctor. Like, the doctor is the only relationship that gets better the the least you see him, right? Like, if I could just not see you, then I'm going to like you even more. I hate going to the doctor. But here's what I've discovered, and many people are catching on to it, that there are some things that you can do in your everyday life that will actually prevent you from getting sick. It's called preventative medication. A lot of companies actually will give bonuses to their employees who practice preventative medication because they see the benefits that it has in a person's life. And here's what doctors will say. There, there's three things that, that you can do to make sure that you stay healthy. And it's, it's really simple, really easy. It's diet, exercise, and rest. Like if you eat well, and if you move often, and if you get enough rest, well, then your, your body is going to be able to take care of itself, and it's going to produce a, a healthy lifestyle for you. But science is actually catching up with this as well. And what they've discovered is that is that people who exercise particularly, they have a greater quality of life than those who do not. And it's not just in their physical health, but it's also in their mental health as well. So for those who exercise by going to the gym or maybe... Who who run, what they've discovered is that when you work out, the brain releases a protein called BDNF, which actually creates new neurons within your brain that allow you to have greater clarity, focus, and retain knowledge better than those who don't, just simply by. Working out. And what this does is it it produces a greater quality of mental health because those who exercise, rest, and eat well, they have lower rates of depression and anxiety and other mental health disorders. Because as you begin working out, here's what happens: your brain releases chemicals known as oxytocin and dopamine within the body, and they flood your body, producing a euphoric feeling makes you happy, makes you feel light throughout the day. That's why whenever, you know, I tell people, hey, I like running, and I'm like, and not just for my problems, I actually run for my health, right? People are always like, you run for fun? I'm like, yeah, actually, I do. Because the more you run, the more you get addicted to it, and the more it feels good, and the more it feels good, the more you're gonna continue to do that thing, because the body actually helps take care of the brain. And, and we're discovering this, and the value that is on both physical and mental health. And now because we have a society that values physical and mental health, and we look around at society, we wonder why is it so unhealthy? Why is everyone so anxious and confused and frustrated and angry? Why is everyone freaking out every single month? And and here's what I would say, is that it is important for us To focus on the mind and the body but that's actually not enough is there is one other component that many people overlook and it's not just the mind and it's not just the body but it's actually your soul in the same way that we should care for our mind and body we should also take care of our souls there is a spiritual health aspect that many people neglect. If you're taking notes, here's the big idea for us today. The mind and the body are important, but we must prioritize our souls, right? A doctor can treat the body and a therapist can treat the mind, but it is only Jesus who can bring healing to a person's soul. And you can have good physical health, but you can also have bad spiritual health. And you can have good mental health, but if you have bad spiritual health, then you'll never be whole. The mind and the body are important. But listen to me, church, we need to prioritize our souls. And that's what Peter's going to tell us today in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Our sermon title today is called, How to Be Spiritually Healthy. And in the same way that there's three things you can do for your health, diet, exercise, and rest... Peter's going to tell us there's three things that we can do for our spiritual health. And the first thing he's going to tell us is this, is that we need to learn how to grow up. Here's what he says. Verse 1, so put away all malice and deceit and all hypocrisy, envy, and slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, there's our word, into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is... Good. So last week in this series, what I did is I introduced to you something known as the doctrine of soteriology. Okay, fancy college word. Why don't you turn to your neighbors and say, soteriology. soteriology. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, God bless you. <laughs> what is soteriology? Soteriology. Okay, here's what it is. It is the doctrine of salvation. You learn something new every Sunday. Don't say I never taught you nothing. You get what you pay for, and church is free. It is the doctrine of salvation, and it comes in three parts. The the first part is justification. Justification is the moment that you are saved by Jesus, that the shed blood of Jesus washes away your sins. You are forgiven, and you are set free. The gavel of God's grace drops on your life. He says, not guilty justified. That's the moment you meet Jesus. The third step is what is called glorification. What is that? That's the moment that you see Jesus in heaven forever in all of his glory with the new heaven, new earth, and a resurrected body forevermore. Amen. That's glorification. What most of us have been taught is this. Give your life to Jesus, and when you die, you go to heaven. And that's true, but they forgot what happens in the middle. And what happens in the middle? sanctification. Good job, class, for paying attention. It's called sanctification. And what is that? It is the process of becoming like Jesus. What Peter says here, it is the process of growing up into your salvation. And so this is very important. Like, if you want to be spiritually healthy, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to grow up in your salvation. And, and what's important for us when we're growing up? Nutrition. Nutrition. That's why he says, like, newborn spiritual infants long for the pure spiritual milk, why? So that you might grow up into salvation. How do we do that? Very important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your habits determine your health. If you have bad habits, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have bad health. But if you have good habits, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a positive result in your health. Because your health determines or your habits determine your health. And so if you're practicing bad habits like, you know, eating junk food or, you know, driving through a drive through and getting your food cooked by a teenager and eating it in the car on your way to the next meeting, don't be surprised when you're unhealthy, right? If you smoke cigarettes, don't be surprised when you get COPD, right? If you drink too much, what's going to affect? It's going to affect your Your liver. If you just watch TV all day long, don't be surprised when it rots your brain, right? Because bad habits lead to bad health. But conversely, good habits lead to what? Good health. Like, you get out of it, what you put into it. So if you go for walks, if you have family dinners, right? If you take your vitamins, if you exercise, if you take some naps, amen, hallelujah. Who's looking forward to a Sunday afternoon nap? Praise him, Jesus, yes! Right, what does that produce? It produces good habits which lead to good health. And what Peter's trying to say is this, is that if it's true for us physically, it's also true for us spiritually. That there are some spiritual habits that if you do, don't be surprised when you are spiritually unhealthy. And so what he's going to do is give us five bad spiritual habits that diminish our spiritual health. Five bad habits for your health. The first thing he says is this, he says, malice. He said, what is malice? Malice is when something bad happens to another person and you feel pretty good about it. Right? Malice is jealousy and, and bitterness and resentment or hate for another person. So when something bad happens in their life, you're like, well, that's pretty good for me. Right? If they, if they, if they you know, if they get cancer, you're like, wow, God really does answer prayers. You know, that's, that's called malice. Right? Now, does our culture have a malice problem? Yes, but we don't call it malice, we call it cancel culture. This is when, when something bad happens to everybody, somebody else, everybody jumps in on the comment sections and makes them, makes them feel worse. That we laugh at people's worst day of their life, and we jump in and we begin to share it and cancel it and judge them. That's a problem, and what it produces is toxicity in our souls. It's like drinking battery acid for your heart. It is not good, but yet it is pervasive within our society. Number two, it, it's, it's deceit. This is where you twist and manipulate the truth to be able to fit your agenda. Like, it's not lying, but it's not truthing either, if you know what I mean. And say, do we do this today? Yeah, we call it politics. Okay, every midterm election, here's what happens. What happens? Oh, all of a sudden, everybody jumps out and starts posting and tweeting and hashtagging about their agenda, about their platform, about their person, about their politician, and it's all misinformation, and it's not total truth. But yet we believe it, we buy into it, and then we hate our neighbors because of it. Right, growing up, there was this thing whenever I was about 11 or 12 years old, it was called the internet, just came out. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it or not, but when I was a kid, it was like, beep, boom, boom. Anybody remember that? And it took me like 15 minutes to be able to access the website. Now, my Nana, she told me this. She said, Byron, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Now, some of y'all weren't raised right, because y'all be believing everything you read on the internet, right? That's deceit. It's fake news. It's false news. It's misinformation, disinformation. And yet, because we do not think critically, all of a sudden, we believe the things that we read online, and that's that's deceit. Number, number, number three, it is hypocrisy. This is when you say one thing and you do another. This is when you pretend like something's important to you, but yet behind the scenes and in your heart, you really don't care about it. Do we see hypocrisy happening within our society? Yes, it's called virtue signaling. Have you been on Twitter? See, it's really easy to post the hashtag or to post the square or to... Do something in your bio and get outraged on the internet but really not care in real life and as long as you post the right thing oh you're a good person no matter what you do behind the scenes so it's where people are like global warming environmentalism and you've got to drink from metal straws to save the turtles meanwhile our clothes are made by kids overseas in sweatshops it's like I hate capitalism colonialism meanwhile you're tweeting it from your iPhone while drinking your nine dollar Starbucks mocha chocolate this is where like, I'm a feminist, and yet you celebrate biological men in women's sports, right? That is called hypocrisy. It's rules for thee, but not for me. It's I'm going to judge you, but the moment you have anything to say about me, all of a sudden, oh, there's a big problem. That's, that's hypocrisy. And it is a cancer within our society that is causing all sorts of sickness inside of people's souls. Number three, it's envy. This is where somebody else has something. Oh, and you want it. You have to have it. Oh, I'm so jealous and have the envy. Now, about 20 years ago, it was, really, it was really hard to be envious. I mean, maybe we were envious of celebrities or our neighbor or maybe someone in our close personal circle, but not today. No, today we all have Instagram. And so we're like God peering into other people's lives. And we see everything that they have and the life that they pretend to be and what they project out for the world to think about them. Oh, and it makes us all so jealous. We scroll through and we're like, they're on vacation again? They're in Barbados? I can only afford to go to Backyardos. <laughs> you look at them and they're like, they're married? I've been engaged for seven years. Right? Like, how can you date someone longer than you can be the president? That doesn't make sense. And then they're like, they're getting a divorce? I've been married for seven years. You're like, their kids are on the honor roll. My kid eats rolls. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, they got a six-pack. I got a cooler. They got the quads of the gods. I got chicken legs. And then we get jealous of other people, and we become envious of other people, and we want what they have. And listen, my friends, it is toxic for us. It is not good, and it does not produce health. And lastly, number five, slander. It's where you have to make someone look bad in order to make yourself feel better. Now, true or false, are these problems within our culture? See, I, it's amazing to me that, that we live in a culture that says they value these things. We value mental health. We value physical health. That's why when you get online, everybody's posting a gym selfie, and there's memes of mental health, but yet people are angry, frustrated, bitter. They're they're in a place to where they're lashing out, trying to figure out. They're confused, and we find ourselves in these places, and we have to wonder why is the world the way that it is. It's because we talk about physical health, and we talk about mental health, but yet we neglect our spiritual health. And as long as we live in a society that eats garbage, don't be surprised when this world is a dumpster fire. Yeah. As long as people are feeding their souls with negativity, don't be surprised when there is no positivity that is happening around you. And until you learn to value spiritual health, you will never actually be spiritually whole. And so here's what we need to know. If we want to grow up, here's, here's what he's said. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. That's why he says, put it away. Get rid of it. Get away from it because it's not adding value to your life. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. Right? If it's not causing you to get closer to Jesus, it's leading you away from Jesus. If it's not building up your prayer life, then it is tearing down your prayer life. If it isn't causing you to love God and others better, it's just going to make you bitter. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. Right? Do, you, do you find yourself happier watching Fox News 24-7 the other day? No, right? Then turn off the TV and start praying, Right, just scrolling through TikTok for two hours, do you ever like, I just feel like I'm a better human being now. At least I can dance, right? No. (laughs) Then turn off your phone and pick up a book. Does gossiping about another person cause you to pray for them more than you talk about them? Then knock it off. Stop it because it's not helping you. If it doesn't cause you to grow, it's got to go. Your habits affect your health. So he starts off by showing us five bad spiritual habits And he's going to give us one habit that will replace them all. Now, what do you think this good habit is going to be? What habit can we do to replace those bad habits? It's very simple. It's to read your Bible. So we say, Byron, that's way too simple. You think the way that we can fix the problems of the world and our culture and society is by simply reading the Bible every day? That's just too simple. Listen, I'm glad that God keeps it simple because I ain't very smart. He's like, this is really simple. Just read the Bible. And as you begin to read the Bible, it is nourishment for your soul. That's why he says the pure spiritual milk will cause you to grow up into your salvation. The more you read the Bible, the more you get God's word in your heart, the better quality of life that you are going to experience. He's, he's talking about the Bible here. Now, when First Peter was originally written, there was no 1 Peter. It's actually just called Peter because he hadn't written the second letter yet. But at the same time, there were no chapters and verses. Okay, it was all just one original letter to be read in one sitting. And so when he starts here by saying, put away all anger and malice and deceit, it's continuing of what he taught us Last week, when he closed the section by saying this, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the good news that was preached to you. So he's continuing that thought. By introducing to us the good habit, which is the good news, which is God's word, that will produce spiritual health in our lives. You guys need to have a daily Bible routine, a daily Bible plan. Wake up in the morning, open up God's word, and before you turn on the news, turn on the good news. Before you start looking at other people, look up to God. And start your day with that. Why? Because it is nourishment for you. How often do you eat? Every day. How often should you read the Bible? Every day. Listen, if the only time you read the Bible is when I put it up here on the screens or during my sermon, don't be surprised when spiritually you're sick. Right? What do we call people who eat only once a week? They're malnourished. That's why as Christians, many of us throughout the week, we are anemic and we are malnourished because we're not feeding our souls with the living word of God. So we need to put God's word inside of our heart if we want to be able to grow up into salvation. But don't take my word for it. In fact, just trust the science. I love it when people on the left, they're like, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. Okay, great. Let's trust the science. What does the science say? Well, a few years ago, some sociologists who studied the effects of Christianity within culture, and they look at how Christians live their lives, here's what they discovered. That people who read their Bible four times per week, okay, not one time, two times, three times, But something happens when they read it four times per week on a consistent basis. Here's what they've discovered. People who read their Bibles, feelings of loneliness drops by 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness in relationships, anybody here, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Promiscuity drops by 68%, spiritually stagnation drops by 60%, divorce decreases by 30%, viewing pornography drops by 61%, but sharing your faith jumps 200%, and discipling others increases by 230%. When I read that, here's what I think. As the pastor of this church and you as a member here, the best thing that I can do for you is to teach you how to read your Bible and to encourage you in reading your Bible. How can I overcome these things? Oh, just read God's word. Like if I, was a, if I was a doctor and I was dealing with someone with depression or anxiety, this would be the first prescription I would give to somebody. I would say, here, take this, come back and see me. If I was a marriage counselor, before I recommended divorce, I would recommend them to do a Bible plan. Hey, read this, pray together in the morning, come see me in two weeks, and we're going to see where we're at. If I was a a parent, maybe you have a a student who's in our, our youth group or maybe a child, what I would do is this, is I would sit down. If they're dealing with loneliness, peer pressure, anxiety, if they're dealing with sexual confusion, whatever it may be that the teenagers in our day and age are experiencing while they're in schools, here's what I would do. I would sit down in the morning, buy them a Bible, open it up, read it to them, and create space for them to begin to ask questions. Why? Because it is nourishment For our souls, the more you get God's word in your heart, the more you're gonna be able to grow up into salvation. If you wanna be healthy, it's not just a mental health, it's not just a physical health, but rather it is a spiritual health that we need. And it starts by us reading God's word so we can grow up into salvation. Plus, how are you ever gonna taste and see that the Lord is good if you never sit down and eat with him? First thing you can do is just learn to grow up Into the salvation that you have received. Number two, he tells us, is learn how to be built up. Now, this is interesting because in our society, the whole goal of everything is to tear things down, right? We tear down people, we tear down institutions, we tear down organizations. We love to just tear things down. Oh, we need to dismantle the patriarchy. We need to tear down cisgendered heteronormativism. We need to tear down capitalism. We need to tear down colonialism. We need to defund the police. we got to tear everything down. Question, as Christians, are we supposed to tear down or build up? We're supposed to build people up. Think about it whenever it comes to um, construction. What's easier? Is it easier to be on the demo crew or the, the building crew? It's the demo crew. Like, it's it's easy to knock down some walls. It's hard to build a house. But God has called us to, to build one another up, to build up the church, to build up the kingdom, to build up our nation, to build up our civilization. That's what God has called us to do as the church. And so our job is not to tear down, but rather our job is to build up. Look what he says here. He says, as you come to him. You are a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, you are chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion. That's their word for heaven. He's saying, I'm building something in heaven... A stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but not those who do not believe. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Let me start off by focusing on this word right here. He says, you're precious. If you want to know what God thinks about you, dear Christian, I want you to know you're precious. That he loves you. He loves you so incredibly much. You are chosen. You are selected. You are elect. You are loved. You are cared for. You are valued. You are appreciated. Oh, when God thinks about you, he says they're precious. The precious To me. Now, the world may reject you, and that's okay because God has accepted you. And so when you have God's thoughts about yourself, it changes the way that you begin to live your life. So don't worry about what people say. Worry about what God says. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Don't worry about what people do. Worry about what God has done. And here's what he did: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever, which is you, believe in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you you. You're precious to him. Which is why he wants you to be built up. Which is why he wants you to be healthy. And so what he's going to do here is he's going to show us ways that we can be built up. Now how are we going to be built up? He tells us it starts with having the right foundation. It's why he refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which we build our lives. If Jesus is not the foundation, it will fail you can't build a house without having the right foundation if you try to build a house without a foundation what's gonna happen eventually the house is going to fall down and if Jesus is not the foundation of the life that you are building, eventually everything will begin to fall apart. That's why, as Christians, we put Jesus first in everything that we do. He is first in the morning, He is first in our family, He is first in our finances, He is first in our budgeting, He is first in our marriage, He is first in our parenting, He is first at our job, He is first in our vocation, he is first in our education, he is first in our relationships. He is first in our lives because without Jesus being the foundation that we build our lives upon, we know that eventually everything will begin to fall apart. And so as Christians, we put Jesus first in everything that we do. Which is why the world thinks we're crazy. Because what does the world think? I need to put myself first. I can put my wants and my needs and my desires above everything else. And what we would say is you make a terrible God, get off that throne, and let Jesus get back on it. It's not about us going first. Society will also say we need to put politics first. We need to put marginalized groups first. We need to put these people first. No, we put Jesus first in everything that we do because he is supreme. He is preeminent. He is above all things, and there is no second to Jesus because Jesus comes first. He is the foundation in which we build our lives upon. And this is why society and systems and institutions are crumbling because we have removed Jesus from our society and culture. This is why things are the way that they are, because we're beginning to see the, the, the de-evolution of our society, what happens when you remove Jesus, and you remove people who are in authority who do not believe in Jesus. Or when we put people on pedestals who do not believe in Jesus, this is the results that we get. Yeah. Because if Jesus is not the foundation, everything will change fail. We put Jesus first. Now, just by saying that, there are some people in this room that might be offended. That's why he says, it is an offense. Because some people will be offended. You tell them about Jesus, and they get offended. You say, hey, we need to put Jesus first in your life. Oh, I can't believe that you would say that. Here's why. He says, they stumble of it. Listen, no one can trip over the rock without their foot touching it. And so, They're rejecting Jesus. The the builders have rejected the cornerstone, and eventually it's all going to fall down. You say, but my life is pretty good, right? I got a good marriage. I'm not divorced. My kids, they went to college. They're good moral people. I probably make more money than you. I'm more educated than you. I got a nice house. drive a car. I feel like I have a pretty decent quality of life. And I don't believe in Jesus. Are you telling me that your life is better than mine simply because you believe? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that as Christians, we have an eternal perspective about life. And that this life is not all that there is. There is another world, there is another life, and there is eternal life. And you might be fine for now, but what's going to happen in a thousand years in the future? That's why he talks about Zion. What's Zion? That is heaven. Is there going to be honor for those who do not build their house? On Jesus Christ? No, there is no honor. There is only dishonor. Because eventually, in the end of all things, God is going to tear it down. And it will fail. Is there blessing? No, there is cursing for those who do not build their life on Jesus. Is there eternal life? Oh, yeah, there is. But it's not going to be in heaven. It will also be in hell. That there is an eternal reality that we must think about. And right now, everything may be fine. But in the end... Only that which is built on Christ will last. And without Jesus everything else will fail. Listen, your marriage will not save you. Your job will not save you. Your children will not save you. Your political agendas will not save you. Your sexuality will not save you. Your gender will not save you. Your good works will not save you. Your good deeds will not save you. We are not saved because we are good people. We are saved because he is a gracious God. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is the only way that anybody will ever be saved. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he has done in your place. And unless Jesus is the foundation, then everything else will fail. See, people want heaven. Like every time people are arguing on the internet or marching through the streets or throwing a parade, what they're really saying is, I want Zion. I want heaven. I want what God promises, but they don't want God. You say, do you want to go to heaven? Yes. Do you want Jesus? No. Right, do you want peace? Absolutely. Do you want Jesus? No. Right, do you want, do do you want, like, God's best? Yes, as long as I can get it without God, I'm going to be good. People want Zion, but they don't want Jesus. People want heaven, but they don't want Jesus. They want what God's got, but they don't want to actually surrender their life to him. And in the end... Without Jesus, I'm just telling you, my friends, it's gonna fall apart. Yeah. And that's why we need to restart our lives. I just feel impressed. I didn't say this first service, but I feel impressed right now by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are here in this room, and you're like, My life is already falling apart. My marriage is falling apart, my, my family's falling apart, my, my relationships are falling apart. And I wanna say something to you right now. I just feel this in my, in my spirit. I'm glad that you're here. And this is an opportunity for you to begin again. Before, God gave you his grace that it fell down before and not later. And this is a new opportunity for you to start over. And this time, lay Jesus as the foundation for that marriage. Lay Jesus as the foundation for your parenting. Lay Jesus as the foundation for your job or your education or your friendships. Just start again and lay Jesus. Say, God, I'm going to do it different this time. God, the first time I was foolish, but now I want to be wise. I'm going to build my life with you as a foundation. Here's what Jesus says, just off the top of my head. Jesus said there was two people, a wise man and a foolish man. The foolish man, he built his house without a foundation. He built his house on the sand. The wise man, he laid a solid foundation on a rock, and then he built his house. Both houses looked great on the outside, but then the the rain and the winds blew. The man who built his house from the sand, his house was washed away. But the man who built his house from the rock, his house was able to stand. So I don't know what this world is going to bring to you. I don't know... what's happening in your life or the circumstances or the situations that you find yourself in. I don't know what these midterms are gonna bring. I don't know if there's another pandemic that is brewing somewhere. I don't know what is going to happen, but here's what I can tell you. If you build your life with Jesus as the foundation, it doesn't matter what comes your way, you will win. But if Jesus is not the foundation, it will fall. We need to learn to grow up And we need to learn to be built up. And then lastly, number three, we need to learn to speak up. Here's what he says as we close the section. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He starts off by giving us this great big identity statement. He says you, he's talking about your identity in a culture that is obsessed with identity, where everybody's freaking out, trying to figure out what their identity is. That's why everything you see is based upon identity, identity politics, sexual identity, gender identity. We look at for identity in our family, our family of origins, our upbringings, our racial identity. Everybody's trying to figure out who am I and where do I belong? What is my identity? And that's why the society is in crisis because nobody knows who they are. Not as Christians. As Christians, God tells us who we are. We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to speculate about it. He tells us straight up, this is who you are. He gives you your identity. Your identity is not achieved, it is received. It is what God speaks over you he made you he created you he designed you therefore he's the only one who can define you he speaks that identity over you you can't lose it you don't have to earn it or achieve it all you got to do is by his grace receive it and believe it and live it out in your life identity is not what we achieve but rather it is what we receive from god this is so amazing This is mind-blowing, life-changing, destiny-altering, soul-filling. Woo, this is incredible. He gives us four identity statements. This is what he says. He says, you are a chosen race. Oh, he said the race word. Just saying it as a white guy might have triggered some of y'all. Because our world is so divided by race. Not in the kingdom of God, though. In the kingdom of God, we are all dignity of value and respect made in his image and likeness. Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Latino, Asian, and everybody in between. But God, I'm sitting in this room right now. Where the world wants to divide us, God is bringing us together, and he is uniting us because we are a chosen race. Number two, he says, you're a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, there was only a handful of people who would ever be priests, and they were the elite, they were the rich, and they were the ones who were qualified. And now, because of Jesus, you're all qualified. Anybody can go into the presence of God. Anybody can have access into the holy of holies. Anybody can go up to God, the king of all kings, and present a request because you are a royal priesthood. There is no classism nor elitism in the body of Christ. We are all priests now. Number three says you are a holy nation. The world is at war What's going to happen with China and Taiwan? What's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine? What's happening down at the border right now? The government is spending billions of dollars to try to address these problems, but Jesus already dealt with them on the cross 2,000 years ago because he is calling us into a holy nation that our residence might be in America, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. You are a holy nation. You might be in exile now, but with your father in heaven, there is a home that is waiting for you. You are a holy nation. The number four, you are a people for his own possession. The Bible tells us that When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt for your sins. And that you have been purchased, and your life is no longer your own. But now it belongs to him. Some people in this room right now, you may not feel like you have any worth. You may not feel like you have any value. You may feel unwell whether you've been rejected by the world or other people's words that they've spoken over you, or maybe you've just looked in the mirror and you've rejected yourself. Maybe you've been rejected by a friend or a spouse, but either way, you feel rejected. I want to remind you something. Something is only worth the price that another person is willing to pay. How much are you worth to God? Here's how much you are worth. You're worth him sending his son Jesus to die in your place. That's how valuable you are to God. That is the worth you have because of Jesus. You are his possession. It's why I get so upset when people who come in and they have terrible theology, where they're like, I'm just a worm. I'm such a wretch and a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. And I'm like, no, you're not. That might have been who you were, but that ain't who you are. Who are you? Oh, you say, I am a holy nation. I am a royal Priesthood. I am a people of his own possession. That's who I am because of who he is and what he has done for me. Oh, and this just produces so much joy in the heart of the believer. When the world is in chaos, oh, no, we got Christ. When the world is falling apart, we're being built up. When there's panic, we got peace. When there's fear, we got faith because we know who we are because of who he is and what he has done for us. Listen, we love and serve such a great and good God. And here's what this produces in our hearts. Two things, worship and witness. Like when you know what God has done for you, when you know what how Christ has saved you, when you know what he has accomplished on your behalf, it just makes you want to worship because here's the deal. Here's what he says. He says, I was not a person, but now I am his people. I was not deserving of mercy, but now I have received mercy. I was in darkness, but now he has brought me into the light. And by him I can see. And you start thinking about what God has done for you. His love, his care, his mercy, his answering of prayers, and if God never did another miracle, if there was never another breakthrough, if there was never another divine intervention, I'm telling you, my friends, salvation is enough that he reached down into the depths of darkness, he picked you up and he brought you into his marvelous light that we deserve wrath, he gives us grace. That we have guilt, he gives us his mercy that God, he made us a person. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. And that just makes me wanna dance, come on. I'm about to have a praise break up in here right now. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. You start doing a little bit of this in the front row, here's what happens. People think you're crazy. Say, I'm just crazy about Jesus. I'm just crazy about what he's done for me. And when you live your life as a life of worship, what you'll discover is that worship is your greatest witness. Listen, worship is not the songs that we sing or the team that's up here or what you listen to in your car when you're driving to Chick-fil-A. Here's what worship is. Worship is the life that you live. Men, loving your wife is worship. Getting down on your knees and playing My Little Pony with your kids after a long day of work. That's worship. And you know what you're doing when you're playing with those kids? You know what you're doing? You're teaching them through your life how to worship God. When you go to work, you're worshiping. The way you budget and spend your money is an act of worship. The way you live your life is worship. And to a world that has gone mad, to a people who are in chaos and crisis, you're testifying to a God who can change things. You say, "Why? why are you the way that you are? let me tell you who he is. I was once not a person and he has called me his people. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. I didn't deserve mercy and he gave it to me anyway. Let me tell you about where I was when I, I was in darkness. Oh, and he has brought me into his marvelous light. And so what do we do in a world that has gone mad and people are sick and angry and fighting? What do we do? We proclaim his excellencies. We speak up. We speak up in our worship. We speak up in our witness. And we praise the glory of his name. And we proclaim his excellencies to the world that is around us. And there are some people who they may think you're crazy. But there are some people who will say, I want what you have. There are some people who might think you are strange. Strange. And there are some people who would say, "Do you go to church. Dear church, if if we want to be spiritually healthy, it's important to see a doctor for your body. If you need one, it's important to see a a therapist for your mind. I have a therapist. His name's Mark. He's amazing. I see him every single week, Wednesdays at 11 o'clock. We have counseling here at the church that's available for people if you need it. Just send me a message. I'm grateful for the doctors who are in the room. But in Mark, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Levi. And here's what he says, I am the great physician and I have come for the sick. See, doctors can treat the body. A counselor can treat the mind. only Jesus can bring healing to your soul. And so for some of you, you're here, you're a Christian. Praise the Lord. The journey doesn't stop the moment you meet Jesus. You got to grow up into that salvation. You've been healed and now you're in the process of being made whole. And So I want to help you through that process. Learning how to grow up, learning how to be built up and learning how to speak up. And then others of you, you're here and you're not a Christian. But you know that there's something not right. You know that what you're doing is not working. You feel the tension and the angst. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit drawing you right now. Right in your heart, I feel, I feel something moving in the room right now. I feel his, I feel his kindness that is leading you to repentance at this very moment. That's God stirring you. He's calling you. He is drawing you. The Spirit of God is whispering in your ear, chosen, chosen. I choose you. You're precious to me. I love you. Come to me. Give me your life. That's the Spirit of God drawing inside of you at this moment. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you can feel the Spirit speaking gently to your soul in this moment to give you opportunity to count three. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he chose you. Number three, raise your hand. Yes, ma'am, right there in the front row. Right there in the back. Two, three, four. Anybody else? Anybody else? Give you one more minute. Five in the back. Six. Yes, ma'am. Let's give it up for our six friends right now. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let me pray over everyone as a church right now. Say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I ask that you would heal me. And that you would make me whole. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me close with the quote. It comes from C.S. Lewis, and here's what he says. He says, "You don't just have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. One day the body will be resurrected, and the and the, the person as an entire connected being, we will be in glory forever." don't just have a soul, you are a soul. And so prioritize your soul. Last line, mind, body, and soul. It is only Jesus that makes us whole. Jesus brings healing to our bodies. Whether in this life or the life to come, Jesus can heal. The Bible says that he renews our minds. Jesus can renew your mind. Oh, but your soul? Only God can bring healing to your soul.